0: Well, good morning. Pretty good. (laughs) Uh, It is, of course, a a great joy for me to be here and uh, indeed to continue your newly started series in the Gospel of John. Now, uh, I have to say that uh, though I I guess I'm better known as an Old Testament specialist, I I was rather delighted uh, to find out that this was the book that you had embarked upon. Yeah, I'm going to share something that probably isn't wise under the circumstances, but bear with me. Uh, when I was studying theology, uh, undergraduate theology, there was a class in, in the degree program that was a required class, not one out of chosen, and it was church leadership. Okay, it's, it's important. It's an important class, and it was the the one that I almost failed. As I said, it may not be wise for me to share that with you, but, 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 but stay with me. Uh, the reason is that I went into the class, and we go in, and uh, the class was essentially uh, the means by which we were taught a whole series of techniques and gimmicks and ways in which you can make the church successful. And I'll be honest, there was something inside of myself that just rebelled. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's hundreds of books out there, probably thousands of books out there, that will sell you the secret of success. You buy their book. And I wasn't content. And so uh, part of the assessment for that class was you had to present in front of the whole class which of the gimmicks you were going to use in order to make your church the successful one. And I stood there and I said, well, none of them. Instead, I I, I developed an entire program that I would use with the church uh, founded on the Gospel of John. And I said, this is what we should be using You see, God is not a product. He's not soap powder. I'm not going to sell him like he is. He's not a gadget to improve your life. That is not who God is, and I'm not going to pretend otherwise. My understanding of success was fundamentally different. You see, I do believe that it is our job to sow. I do believe it is our job to reap. But to have the delusion that it is up to us to make things grow? No. That's God's department. And so what would I wish? Well, for me, the question isn't what gimmicks do we use to make people uh, come to us. Instead, I say, well, all of the honor and glory belongs to Christ. How do we enable people to see him? How quickly can we have people turn around and realize that the lives that we live are no longer ours but his? How quickly can we turn people to him? So I almost failed the class. But I do believe this fully. I do believe that it is the death-conquering, all-powerful Messiah that we need to turn our eyes to. That's why I love the Gospel of John. I mean, the other Gospels are great, but there's something about John. John, in the Gospel of John, when you're reading it, you really are struck by the sense with which he loves Jesus. Uh, He gets uh, struck by the sense by which he is in awe of who Jesus is. That's what we need. This encounter with Jesus Christ, articulated so well in the Gospel of John, and so, though I had nothing to do with it, I am delighted that this is the series that you are looking at. In a time of uh, transition for Hebron, it is the time for what really matters to be brought to the fore. It's a time for the one who really matters to take center stage. And that's the purpose of the Gospel of John. So with that in mind, our text this morning focuses on the testimony of John the Baptist. We're going to be reading uh, from John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 19 to 28. So John 1:19 to 28. and this is the testimony of john when the jews sent priests and levites from jerusalem to ask him who are you he confessed and did not deny but confessed i am not the christ and they asked him what then are you elijah he said i am not are you the prophet and he answered no so they said to him who are you We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Don't answer them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Amen. So though the text and uh, though the focus could stray towards John the Baptist, uh, that would be a mistake. Uh, The whole Gospel of John, as I was saying, points to Jesus Christ. Uh, The work of John the Baptist, again, like the book, is to point to Jesus Christ. This is not about John. This is about his testimony uh, concerning the Christ. As many of you are aware, Christ is a Greek word for Messiah. We will probably end up using them interchangeably. But there was this person, this long-awaited saviour of the people of God that had been promised and they had been waiting for such a long time, promised in the Old Testament. And it is as his witness that John appears. As we know, the Jewish leaders, uh, the people in Jerusalem, are ultimately going to reject the one that they were waiting for. But for now, this delegation comes out they're wondering is john the one <laughs> they have been waiting for centuries and so here he is they're coming out they're looking at john he certainly strikes right the note strikes right he looks apart is he the one and of course uh, he certainly made an impact uh, this strange clothes his commanding call of repentance the powerful effect among the people In fact, the religious leaders are not the only one wondering if he's the Christ. The people are wondering this too. We see that in Luke 3 verse 15. As the people were in great expectation, they were all questioning in their hearts whether John might be the Christ. So it's the, the question on everybody's lips. Now, one of the reasons, actually, that there is a great expectation at this point uh, is that there was, culturally, at this time, an expectation at that moment for the Messiah. Uh, based on a prophecy in Daniel 9, it worked it all out, that the Messiah was supposed to be turning up around about this time. And so you had lots of people who would try and use that for their own advantage, uh, even uh, political leaders. Uh, there was a prophecy in Haggai uh, 2, verse 9, about the Messiah glorifying the temple. And Jesus will later on make it clear that his body is His temple where God and man uniquely meet. Uh, but even people like King Herod, conscious of this prophecy, uh, did a great renovation project on the temple. So he could say, well look, I have glorified the temple, I must be the Messiah. <laughs> even Herod. And so there was an expectation at this time that the Messiah would appear. They have been holding their breath long enough, now is the time. And so John appears in the scene and naturally they think, Maybe he's the one. So, they come to him and he says, Nope, I'm not the Christ, I'm not Elijah, and I'm not the prophet. Now, explain, uh, let me, give me some time to explain these three before we go into who he actually is, who he says he is. You see, first of all, he says, I am not the Christ. As I said already, uh, John's Gospel and John the Baptist working, uh, working together here, they are intent on pointing straight to Jesus. And so his initial denial in verse 20 helps prepare the way. He says, I am not the Christ. He's deflecting that sort of attention. As he continues, he he does say effectively, I'm not he, but you better keep looking, because he's here. Now, I believe that we can learn quite a lot from that response when we look at what John says. Uh, Often when we try and witness for Jesus, very easy to talk about anything other than Jesus, to find conversations skirting around the gospel. I'm afraid that very often when we talk about Christ, it's very much purely in relation to what he has done for me. Rather than point to him and, and honor him and glorify him, our testimonies very often are sort of a subtle pat on the back uh, for who we are now. Very often we talk about how he answers my prayers, how he makes my life better. Now, it is important that we have a a human connection with people. It is important that we do show the power of the gospel changing our lives. What I'm struck by when I read John the Baptist is how he just immediately points to Jesus. How he makes the way straight to Jesus. And I think all of us can learn something from that. Everything that we say, all that we do should be pointing to him, giving him the glory, not even accidentally trying to steal some of the glory for ourselves. He says, I am not the Christ. He then goes on to say, I am not Elijah. So uh, having established he's not the Messiah, they ask him, you know, are you Elijah? He says, I am not. And you may be wondering why of all the people in the Bible, they've decided that Elijah may be the one standing in front of them. Well, again, uh, this was a a rather particular application of a prophecy um, in uh, Malachi, Malachi 4, verses 5 to 6, where there's this expectation that the prophet Elijah is going to return. This is what it says. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So very much at the very end, every end of the Old Testament we have this idea that Elijah is going to return. Now, it should be pointed, there's an element of subtlety in that prophecy that the Pharisees weren't really applying. Uh, to be fair to them, I think that we can see an awful lot more from where we are looking back than they were able to uh, right there and then. But at the time, the Jews at the time, including the Pharisees here, they believed that a whole host of people were going to be sent by God. They were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for the suffering servant. They were waiting for Moses to return. They were waiting for Elijah to return. They were waiting for King David to return. And it's only later on that we recognize that in the person of Jesus Christ, all of these prophecies came true. He was all of these things. Um, let me take the, the Davidic one. Uh, so David was promised to return uh, quite a few times. Uh, Ezekiel 34, Jeremiah 39. Let me read to you Hosea 3, 5 as an example. Afterwards the children of Israel shall return and seek Yahweh their God under David their king and they shall come to fear Yahweh and his goodness in the latter days. And this is the idea that David was going to return and he was going to bring the people back to God. And David was very often seen as the greatest king. He is the true shepherd of Israel as it were. And so the one promised is not a literal resurrection of David long dead. It's that there is going to be one who is to come, who is the greatest shepherd. The one who is to come, who is the king of all kings. The one who is to come, who is going to redeem the people and bring them back to God. I wouldn't settle simply for David coming back to life. I wouldn't settle for a miracle of that king walking in here, I instead see that in Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the great shepherd, that we can be, be brought back to relationship with God. Elijah uh, here, he's a representative of all the prophets. Uh, and he was a prophet of incredible power. He had a ministry filled with signs and wonders. Uh, but more, more importantly, he stood when the nation was at a crossroads. The nation's about to plummet off the cliff in terms of turning their back on God entirely, and he stands right there, and he sees the people brought back to God. And with the prophecy in Malachi 4, etc., we see that the Elijah to come is going to have a ministry full of signs and wonders, and he is going to bring the people back to a relationship with God. Again, I wouldn't settle for Elijah <laughs> when we have Jesus the greatest of all the prophets, the one who is filled with all of the, the Spirit and with the ministry, filled with signs and wonders, but most importantly of all, to bring humanity back from the brink and into relationship with God. Uh, that's why, though John the Baptist says, I'm not Elijah, um, there are uh, people who say he is like Elijah uh, the, the, the angel, uh, Gabriel, tells his mother he would be like Elijah. Uh, Jesus says he is like Elijah because of the kind of ministry he had, pointing people to God, pointing them, uh, people to Jesus Christ. But when he is asked, Are you Elijah? Are you the fulfillment of this prophecy? Are you going to be the one to see the people redeemed? He says, No. <laughs> he could have said, I've already answered your question. <laughs> he says, No. Then we have the prophet. This delegation that came to John the Baptist are left scratching their heads. They ask, well, is you not the Christ? And you not Elijah? Are you the prophet? Again, remember, uh, we see that these are the, the same person, Jesus Christ. Uh, it's based on a prophecy and a promise uh, made in Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verses 18 to 19, where it says that someone like Moses would come, he would bring the people back, he would speak all the authority of the law. Now Jesus later on says that that he had not come to abolish the law, but to be the embodiment of the law. And so we see Jesus, the one who has all of the authority, because he wrote it in the first place. He comes with all the authority of the law, as, as the greater Moses, as it were. And so Jesus manages to be all of these things. But John was not. So he says, I'm not any of these things. Now, that's not me. I'll point him out to you, but that's not me. You know, I, I find that a great lesson. John the Baptist is the greatest human being that ever lived, according to Jesus. He's the greatest person that ever lived. I mean, my goodness, how he could have boasted to the Jews. He could have well, I'm not the Christ, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the prophet, but <laughs> check me out. <laughs> he could really have done something because, I suppose, compared to any of us, I guess he had the right the forerunner of the Messiah. But John makes it clear that he is not even worthy to fulfill the lowliest function of a servant to loosen the sandal strap on the foot of Jesus Christ. So having said who he is not, he then makes it clear who he is. Verses 22 and 23 in our passage uh, So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. What do you say about yourself, John? Nothing. (laughs) I am a voice. John has one purpose, to point people to Jesus. Jesus is the Christ, not John. And so John prepares the way for Jesus and then steps back because he realizes that Jesus deserves all of the glory and the honor and the praise. And so he says, I'm nothing but a voice. Not a voice that is silent. There's a voice that speaks clearly and loudly. That voice that was promised in Isaiah 40 verse 3, which he quotes. So when it comes... To us, when it comes to trying to apply a text like that, I think there are two key points that we need to take. Uh, the first is that we should unashamedly point to Jesus Christ. You know, when the delegation came to John, you know, they, they were expecting something, they were expecting great things. He points to the greatest thing there is, the greatest person there is. And when we realize it or not, our best efforts at evangelism, our best efforts when it comes to witnessing, is when we recognize our role as a voice, as one who cries out and points somewhere else. When we say, you need Jesus, look to him. No, John was not the light that saves the world, neither are we. At best, we're a mirror reflecting some of that light. And we say, this is the one you need. And uh, when, I, when I read about John, I don't know about you, but I look at myself and I think, I need to be more like that. <laughs> straight to Jesus. Make the way straight. Don't make stumbling blocks of yourself. Don't, don't throw yourself in the road. <laughs> make it straight to him. That's the only way that we'll see lives changed. I have no power. I have no ability to change people to see eternal destinations altered. But I know the one who can Uh, The second point, though, I think, um, is that we are actually most effective pointing to Jesus when we look like him. Um, You know, when the delegation came to John, there was something odd about him. Uh, He did look strange. The camel hair clothes, the locust diet. Uh, He was different. We need to be different. Some of you looking at me think, well, it's easy for you to say... What I really mean is God different. When You encounter a child of God and you come away and you know exactly whose family they belong to. We need to be God different. You see, the message of the gospel is actually not that I have a part-time redeemer who saved my soul and left me to my own devices until one day I see him in glory. We can think like that sometimes. I don't have a part-time redeemer I have Jesus Christ who saved me and who every single day saves me from myself. Who every single day is willing to change me and make me more and more into his image. Every single day until I die. The evidence of the power of the gospel should be seen in our lives continually. so we become more like the one that we serve. Uh, I like the the Tim Keller quote, which says that the gospel is not the ABC of Christianity. It is the A to Z. It is everything. The power of the gospel is not just simply how you start off your Christian life. The power of the gospel is your Christian life. The power of the gospel seeing you change day after day after day in the power of God. You know, the term Christian means those who are like Christ. And that's what we see in John the Baptist. They came to John the Baptist, he was so like Christ, they thought he might be him. (laughs) I like the way that the Old Testament describes righteousness. Because righteousness in the Old Testament is, is essentially how much like God are you going to be today? How effective are you going to be reflecting who he is in your life? How do we speak? What do we do? How do we treat others? Does it reflect what he would do? Um, The the way that I try and describe this idea, uh, this Hebraic idea, um, at some point um, when Isaac, my my eldest, was was small, we inherited some sort of uh, measuring giraffe. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure how we did, but we somehow inherited this this, this measuring device that measured the child. And of course, uh, particularly when he was very small, he had great delight in coming up to this giraffe and trying to find how tall he was, how he measured up to the giraffe. Now, it didn't matter uh, how much he grew. He was never going to be the height of the giraffe. But that wasn't the point. The point for him was to come in and see how much has he grown today. And, you know, as of the nature of growth, some days were rather disappointing. But over the days and weeks and months, there was a definable growth that you can measure on this thing. Uh, Old Testament righteousness works in a similar vein. Because when we read our Bibles, we see God. And, and there is no delusion that we are ever going to be the perfect reflection of Him. But that's not the point. Uh, the point is, to what extent today I going to reflect Him? Uh, The point is that, what am I going to be tomorrow in terms of reflecting Him? Uh, So that maybe, over the piece, as I look at my life, I can see a discernible growth over the period of time. Uh, I have to say, we are called to reflect God. All of us, though, are a work in progress. None of us be what we are supposed to be. That's why words like grace and mercy and love are so important when it comes to a church. But here's the other thing. You see, it may be common for the guy at the front to simply wag his finger at you and say, So, you've got to pull up your socks and you've just got to try a lot harder to be more like God. It's <laughs> impossible. I mean, listen to what I've just said. You know, I mean, I mean, I like the ones that I know amongst you. And, you know, and I know some of you. But the idea that you could be like God in your own strength is ridiculous. So I'm not going to stand here and condemn you and say, "Well, you know what? You should be trying harder." That <laughs> misses the point completely. Because all that does is we end up looking at ourselves and realizing we don't measure up. Instead of looking at him and thinking, "What might he do?" In me. In order for us to become more like God, we need the power of God. In order to reflect more of God, we need more of God. And so what do we do? What do we do? Well, we genuinely seek after Him. We pray, God, change me. We open ourselves up to Him. We pursue Him. You see, we become what we pursue. It might be incremental. You might not notice it at first. But the thing that your heart desires, the thing that you chase after, the things that you spend most time with and on, they shape you, they mold you. And so the call really is to really open yourself up to God and the wonderful things that he might do so that we could leave here reflecting God. So when we leave here, we would go in the likeness of God and people would know who we are. Not because of anything wonderful about us, but because of the one that we can point to because of his power and his strength. That is the way that we end up being the proof of what we're talking about. When we say that the gospel changes, and people ask us, really? We can say, oh yes. Look at my life. Look at him. You want to know if this is real? Let me tell you about him. And in his strength and in his power, we changed. Let us pray. <coughs> Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have examples like John that we can look at. Examples that tell us to be different from the world around us. To, to seek after you. To, to forever be pursuing you and finding you changing us every single day. I pray, Heavenly Father, that would be a reality. I pray that you'd give us the the, the strength to seek after you, the desire to be more like you, the will, O Lord, to see our lives changed more and more and more for your glory. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd give us wisdom so that we we are able much, much more to be able to point straight to you, to the one who effects change. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to sow. We thank you for the opportunity to reap. But Lord, we look to you for the growth inside us and around us. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would be mindful of our role and give you the glory. In Jesus' wonderful and precious name. Amen.